0: Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the E-Commerce Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today, uh, my guest is someone that I'm guessing all of you already know. Uh, and we're gonna be talking about a topic that you you're all at least somewhat familiar with, but gonna be talking about what's new, what's working now, and some really interesting insider type stuff. So we're talking about what's new on Facebook ads. And going to dive into a few other topics uh, along with that. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. And we are thrilled to underwrite this program and bring some amazing guests to you. I have a question for you. How is your YouTube game? Are you using YouTube to help scale your e-commerce business? Hopefully, you're using YouTube both as a remarketing vehicle and also for top of funnel growth. However, if you're like most e-commerce companies, then you're probably not fully leveraging YouTube. So I have two free resources for you. The first is a two-minute crash course on YouTube ads. I recorded this with the famous Ezra Firestone. So you can check that out by looking at the links in the show notes to this show. You can also Google Smart Marketer and two-minute crash course, and you'll find the resource there. Also, we recorded a 90-minute webinar outlining exactly how we scale with YouTube. We talk about keys to a great YouTube ad. We talk about audience targeting. We talk about bidding, optimization, and much, much more. So I highly, highly recommend you check it out. You can also find that linked here in the show notes. It's also at the bottom of the two-minute crash course page. So check them out and start scaling with YouTube. And now, back to the show. My guest is the world-famous Molly Pittman. She's the co-founder of Train My Traffic Person in partnership with Ezra Firestone. You may have seen her, met her at Traffic and Conversion Summit and uh, just a phenomenal human being, uh, so smart at marketing, a ton of fun to be around With that, welcome to the show, Molly Pittman. Thanks for coming on.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Brett. Thanks for having me. Uh, Excited to chat with your audience. Hey, everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's going to be really good. So.
1: So you might the, hear my dog's ears flap over here. <laughs>
0: dogs are I mean, totally welcome knows, on the he show. Knows
1: so. Whenever I'm recording a podcast or a training, he's like, "I'm going to get excited and make some noise." He's
0: <laughs> like, "Animals, animals, and kids know when they should be quiet, and then that's when they like to be noisy."
1: I know uh, not to not to get not to get weird, but I think he probably feeds off that energy, you know, because we get a little excited. Bro, so yeah, we, and so absolutely. he's like, sure. "Yeah, yeah, yeah!" Yep. I'm yep. going on a walk. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's about to come my way. Uh, yes. Sorry, it, just a podcast, just a podcast. Uh, that's that's so funny. Um, we're really excited to have you on. Uh, you know, for the the five people or so that listen that that don't know you, uh, can you give your your quick background, and then I've got a couple of questions related to that as well.
1: Of course, yeah. So. um I started this marketing stuff like seven or eight years ago. I actually had just moved to Austin, Texas, didn't have a job. Um, I, I was I had just started bartending. So I did have a job, but I was in search of you know, what my career was going to be, what I was going to do. And I found a Craigslist ad for a paid internship uh, for a company called Idea Incubator, owned by Ryan Dice. And this was basically a group of different companies and projects that he and his team had started online, uh, a bunch of online companies. And so um, I became one of the 12 interns. After three months, a few of us were hired full-time. This is really when Digital Marketer became a company, which um, uh, a lot of you guys I'm sure are familiar with. They host Traffic and Conversion Summit. Um, and the first job that I had was actually building membership sites. And so this is when I met, met Ezra Firestone because he did uh, a launch with Digital Marketer about eight years ago and I built the member site um, and I knew nothing about this stuff at all. And I, I literally just worked from the ground up and was a sponge. I was very interested and I wanted to talk about it, be around it, ask questions and, and try it. So my next step was organic social on Facebook when you used to be able to actually... When that was an actual thing. <laughs> when that yeah. was a thing. <laughs> um, and from there, um, advertising. And that's really been my biggest love, especially Facebook advertising. But but I love digital marketing in general. I ended up becoming the VP of marketing at DM in 2014. Uh, that really changed my life, further. really got me further immersed in this industry. And I started teaching and helping students, which um, is the most fun for me. And about two years ago in 2017, left Digital Marketer, time for me to start my own journey as an entrepreneur. I really focused on building an agency the first year, which I quickly found was not for me and my personality type and the lifestyle I was wanting to build. Um, And so I transitioned back to really what I love doing in the last year. I've been working with Ezra to build out Train My Traffic Person, which is a four-month mentorship for paid traffic. We have a monthly membership. We're doing a virtual summit called Smart Traffic Live here in a few weeks that you're a part of. Um, and, And that's really my life now is I still have a few clients that I Work with, and mostly, you know, in the trenches helping students. So it's been quite the journey, and I think my story just shows you how quickly everything can change. It's <laughs> with so this true. Stuff and you can learn so and excel so quickly. I mean, one year yep. in digital is like ten regular years in yeah. uh, a traditional yeah. job.
0: No doubt. So from bartender to intern to marketing VP to now on your own running events and running training and having clients and just just a phenomenal story and I think one thing you mentioned that was really interesting to me is you said you were you were very interested and that you were a sponge and I think that like if you had to boil it down to what makes for a really good marketer those are two of the really most important ingredients just being curious I'm be, I'm curious about what my customers are thinking I'm curious about what they're going to respond to I'm curious about what makes this ad type work versus another or why this bid structure works versus another. So I thought that was really interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah. I, think I mean, that... look,
1: Brett, like this stuff is hard. You know that more than anyone. Yep. And if you aren't first interested in it or curious, <laughs> uh, yeah. you're not going to be great because this isn't a job or a discipline where you just follow a checklist and your job yeah. is <laughs>
0: yeah. so yeah. much
1: more to it. So right. you must be willing to be a sponge for experiences and knowledge. You know, I'm yep. still I teach this stuff every day but I'm also still following people like you and and learning every day because yeah. Yeah. I'll never know it all. Right. <laughs> right. It it's one of those
0: things where I think yeah. I think the the right approach is when you're managing campaigns and and work on your your marketing and you you find out, man, this this approach that I thought would work didn't work. That's fascinating. Why did it not work? Let's dig into it. Versus being super frustrated and wanting to give up because something didn't work. I think that yeah, I really tell people is so important.
1: I tell people that as media buyers, we're mostly detectives. Like there mm-hmm. is this um, more intentional aspect of media buying, which is the creation of the offer and the copy and the creative and actually launching the campaign. But most of it's reactive. You know? yep. Yep. Like most of the campaigns I launch don't work, and that's right. when I go into detective mode. Why didn't it work? Yep. Um, and. And that's what's key, that being willing to to dive in and figure that out and test new stuff and keep failing. <laughs> it's part of what
0: makes this game super fun and in some ways a little bit addictive as well, like, like yeah. finding finding those little things at work and finding those wins. And it, it's a lot of fun for sure. So uh, I want to talk about something that, that's interesting. For those that are watching the video, you may notice that my background looks different. And then I want to talk about what you're seeing in Molly's screen as well. But hey, I'm in the new OMG Commerce Podcast room studio. It still needs Ooh. to be finished. I need to like get where I can actually show you. I can't <laughs> with my current setup. But uh, our our agency is growing. We're just shy of forty people. We took over part wow. of the second floor in our office building. Moved a lot of people up there. Most everybody um, created a podcast room. So really exciting. So th- that's that's why this looks different uh, for me. But looking at Molly's setup, you can. I don't know if you can see a little bit of the city, maybe just a tiny bit, but. Molly, tell people where you're living in the world right now and and why.
1: Yeah. So about six months ago, I moved to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And I actually came here planning to stay for three months. I love Europe. I felt it was a great place to spend the summer. Um, and I had been here for two weeks last December and I loved the time zone change uh, because balance has been a huge issue. Or I guess look at it positive, an opportunity for me <laughs> um, since I started, you know, in this career. And the especially the time change is really nice because I have quiet mornings and um, it, it just creates some distance for me to do thinking. Um, it is really one of the biggest reasons I, I, I you know, moved here. So I, I came, I tested it out, really liked it, and ended up staying. So I'll still be coming back to the U.S. a lot for events and to see family and friends. Um, I'm about to go back for most of December, but this is home base now, and I have a new office, which is exciting and really getting grounded and getting into a routine for the first time in a few years. I've been pretty nomadic.
0: Very cool. I love it. So you kind of, you were you were attracted to Amsterdam because it's Europe and you like the vibe and you like all those things. Yeah, but
1: and I the, like the city. I like the city energy, but this yep. is also a quiet and really easy city to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was huge. And to be honest, like the U.S. might not be the the happiest place to be in right now. And mm-hmm. I'm really just trying to decrease stress in any area possible. So... This is kind of a little oasis for me Love right it. now. Love yeah. it. Very
0: cool. Very yeah. cool.
1: And, and what's been cool is lots of marketers are here. Lots of digital marketers. Really? Um, yeah, I'm in a co-working space. We have a private office, but most of the people here are doing digital marketing. And nice. I mentioned that I moved here on Facebook and on the podcast, and I had lots of students and colleagues reach out, and that's been incredible. You know, I've got some people co-working in my office right now that you know message me on Instagram. Hey, I listen to Perpetual Traffic, and, <laughs> that's and, crazy. and we. So, cool. money, so uh, us digital marketers are everywhere.
0: We are everywhere, man. The community is global and it's a small world in the marketing community for sure. Well, I'd love to hear. So since you've branched out on your own, uh, what, what have you learned about being an entrepreneur? What have you learned about yourself? Maybe just any, any takeaways or any lessons you can share? Because I know a lot of the people that listen to this show are entrepreneurs or e-commerce entrepreneurs. Uh, but what have you learned about entrepreneurship? And what have you learned about Molly Pittman uh, on this journey?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, really, I think what's helped me the most in this transition and really in life period is, uh, I hate the question, where do you think you'll be in five years? Because <laughs> I think that most of us don't do ourselves justice because you just can't see that far sometimes. Right, right. You know? And you might know and you might have big lofty visions and that's amazing. But um, you know, I find myself if I look back five years from today, I would have completely undersold myself because yeah, I just yeah. wouldn't have been able to see as big as I have now. And so really living in the present while still being responsible and still you know, forecasting what's to come yeah. has been really important for me. And it's allowed me to make transitions versus um, getting myself really stuck in scenarios that don't Um, serve me as well, if that makes sense. So, for example, right after I I left Digital Marketer, I needed to pay the bills. I I had to figure out what building a business was like. And I went down the agency road and and really the consulting road, which made sense for me. Um, Absolutely. You know, natural that,
0: natural that was, transition.
1: That was something people couldn't really buy my time while while I was a digital marketer. So So why wouldn't I do that as soon as I left? And it was great. I made more money than I ever had. I was able to travel the world. But I felt like I went from one boss to 10. And I was realizing <laughs> that, wow, to truly get clients the results I want to get there's so much more than paid traffic there's so much more than facebook ads i mean mm-hmm. it's it's the business right like you if you really want to do a good job sometimes it ends up you know, you're, you're way out of scope. And I always found that to be the case. And I was like, wow, if I'm doing this, I should do this for my own
0: business yes.
1: <laughs> or do this in scenarios where I have more of a piece of, of, um, you know, of performance. And, and Yeah.
0: The, the, the agency business is tough. Like it's not for everybody. For some reason, I really enjoy it and I've enjoyed building yeah. a team, but it's not an easy gig. And, a lot of people think, think, Oh yeah. starting an agency. It'll be super easy. It's, it's really not.
1: And what you just said, the starting a team, you know, I have a yeah. virtual assistant right now and another full time person. And then, you know, that's a big reason I partnered with Ezra because he has 103 employees and yeah. I'm able to leverage them. That wasn't something I was really interested in doing. I ran a big team at Digital Marketer, lots of logistics, HR. You know, by the time I left, that was a pretty big company. And that stuff has to happen, but those are just things I'm not really interested in doing. <laughs> and so, you know, that wasn't. I was realizing I was outgrowing that very quickly. And at that time, about a year into the agency stuff is when Ezra and I decided to launch Train My Traffic Person for the first time. And I realized, wow, I really miss teaching in this fashion, and this being, you know, the majority of my time. And so it was the perfect transition to say, okay, how do we essentially build, you know, a business? And so then we launched Team Traffic, which is, you know, the, a higher end monthly subscription that we have. At the beginning of this year, we tried a workshop um, in May in Denver. It went well, but in person events are tough, so we probably won't do that again. Yep, we've tough. got this online summit, so we've started to build all of. These products over the last year, and this is really where I feel happiest. And yep. I still have a few clients I work with, and I'll do consulting on occasion. And mostly, I, I have equity relationships with businesses where mm, you know, it, it just feels um, yes. like it's more longer term. And so, I guess going back to what I was initially saying, um, you know, allow yourself to be fluid. You know, yes. things don't yes. have to be as planned or as. I'm going to build an agency. That's what I'm going to be doing in five years. And it's going to be a $30 million agency. I didn't go into it like that. I was like, this is the direction that makes sense for me right now. And I'm going to continue down this path until I start dreading what I'm doing or until it's just not working out any longer. And yeah. then... The- other opportunity presented itself and it was a clean transition. So I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I see a totally lot of people sense. get so stuck and they're in situations where they're just unhappy and they're unsuccessful. Yeah. So allow yourself to be more fluid. It doesn't have to be as, you know, goal setting and as rigid as yeah. you think. Yeah. All those things can still be powerful too.
0: I, I love that so much, and I want to I want to kind of highlight what you said about five year goals. I think five year goals are still important to a certain degree. Like like set them, think about think about where you could be, but really you can't see that far. Like the, the the digital marketing landscape, the landscape of business right now changes so rapidly. There's no there's zero way you can predict where you'll be in five years with with much with a, with a high degree of accuracy.
1: Yeah, and when you are, it should be things like. I want to be feeling happy and yeah, fulfilled yeah, 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 yeah. and inspired yeah. and have good yeah. relationships. And one of my clients, Gabby Bernstein, she's a, a thought leader in meditation and spirituality. And she has a recent book that she just released called Super Attractor for anybody who wants to dive more into this topic. But really being more focused on how you want to feel and you know what you want that experience to look like versus how it looks on the outside. That's helped yep. me a ton because I grew up, you know, I want straight A's and I want to be the best soccer player. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's not always how things turn out. Yep, so. yep,
0: exactly. And I think there's some things like, I, I love the agency business, so I want to be doing this in five years. But what will the agency look like in five years? That's really hard to predict. Like, I've got some ideas. I kind of see where things are going to a certain degree. You know, five years ago, we were focused on Google Shopping and that was like our big thing. And we We're just barely dabbling in YouTube. And now YouTube is is the biggest driver of growth for our agency, that and Amazon ads. And so I think I think knowing who you are, knowing what you like, knowing what your world class at, knowing what your business is good at, understand those things. Understand what makes you happy, and then and then you've got to be fluid. Like it's it's a it's more fun, but it's also a requirement now uh, because things mm-hmm. change so rapidly. So yeah, awesome! I agree. Uh, yeah. Really good stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to talk. I wanted to get into Facebook ads a little bit, and this is not my area of expertise. I mean, I understand it <laughs> conceptually, but it's the a whole It's the same other thing other as other. when
1: we talk about Google.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm exactly. Like, the
1: Google, Google Dictionary. <laughs> it, and so
0: I think this would be kind of a fun place to start to begin with. We both just talked about the agency model. You know, for most e-commerce companies or really any any company, you can either do things in house. Or you can bring on an agency or a freelancer. So you got kind of a couple options there. But I want to talk about this from an operational standpoint. So we'll dig into some of the technical stuff with Facebook ads in a minute. But let's look at those two options. So either in-house training or agency. What are some of the operational considerations that an e-commerce company should have when trying to decide which way to go? And then let's maybe talk about then how to make either one of those situations successful. So any any insights on that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you and I discussed this a, a little bit before we started recording. And, you know, you made the point that it kind of depends on whether that person wants to manage other humans. Kind of like the situation that I was in when, um, you know, I created the agency. I knew that that just wasn't something I was interested in. And so I think that this decision can be made based off of a few parameters. Of course, some of them being things like where you are in terms of revenue and proof of concept with paid traffic as a whole, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I, I think... What I'm seeing, and this relates to what I know you're probably going to ask me about on Facebook, which is what's working right now. Uh, but this is really true for commerce in general. We're in a time where authenticity and really knowing your audience and what they're thinking about and what they care about. I mean, that is more important than ever. You know, And, uh-huh. and you've heard this for years, but it just continues to be more and more important. You know, Five or six years ago, you could slap up an ad that... <laughs> pretty much just said something and you know people, people would be show more interest than they do today. Because yeah, because
0: it was it was cheap, it was cheap enough then that you could get by the crappy ad. If there's less competition, there are all kinds of reasons you could be yeah. not very good and still well, do okay. And,
1: and from the consumer standpoint, online commerce was still a novel idea. The yep. fact that you could purchase something online and it would show up at your door, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so uh things have have really evolved here, you know? And I think that a big mistake people make is they get to a certain point in their business where they say, okay, I'm ready for paid traffic now. I'm ready to make that leap. And for different entrepreneurs, it's different. Sometimes that's day one of the business, sometimes it's 10 years later. You know, you you never know when someone's ready to make that step. Um, But a lot of times, if you hire an agency out of the gate, especially an agency that isn't as experienced, you're probably going to have um, a bad result. And the reason for that is that I find that there's there's always going to be a disconnect between an agency and a client that just doesn't exist when you work internally for that company or when you were the one that founded the company or, you know, when you are that avatar. And so when, um, you know, you start to outsource to an agency too early. And this is especially for Facebook or avatars and you're copying your creative or a little bit more important than something like search because right. you know, this is yep. like a virtual. Search platform. is
0: much more straightforward when it comes to copy. Yeah, no, no doubt about exactly. it. Exactly.
1: Like th- this is more for, for Facebook. Um, but when you, you start this process with an agency, there's just this disconnect where... Um, I, I don't know if this is making sense, Brett, but I, I see a lot of failure initially because the agency just doesn't know your business as well as you right. are. They don't know the avatar and maybe there isn't as, uh, as much time spent between the two of you there um, as there should be. And so then it's agencies don't work, Facebook ads don't work, I'm right. not doing it. Right? Like that's usually what I see occurs. So for me, the best situation, I always believe that it's best for the founder or the marketing director, depending on the size of your company, to either begin this process on their own Or to be very involved, as I'm sure your agency is with, you know, people that work internally. I know like you guys are with Boris, for example, that works for Ezra. You know, that relationship is so important. um, Or you're just going to miss the mark on the authenticity, the voice, the hooks, the avatar, the offers, the creatives, everything that matters. And I know that was our experience at Digital Marketer. I was really the first person to start buying traffic for that brand. And I scaled it in-house because I helped craft those offers. I yep. was the avatar. I knew it better than anybody. Even if I wasn't as good as pressing the buttons inside of the account as maybe a, a an account manager would be for a bigger agency, I just knew. <laughs> you know? I was around it all day speaking the language. Um, and, then- and, and, and that
0: other knowledge kind of made up for that that lack of technical knowledge in, in that situation. And... and- really helped level the, the field for you yeah
1: and i continued to run the facebook ads you know for 5 years while i was there eventually we hired an agency to you know do the google and youtube side because i didn't have as much bandwidth and we needed help for scale and that made sense at that point but um yeah i, I feel like there are multiple paths that you can go down. And uh, another key is to make sure you're picking an agency that actually fits you, right? Like uh, there are lots of agencies that like to niche down and only serve e or only serve info. Uh, I think you can do that or you can go a bit broader. But what's key usually is that the agency has specific experience doing what you're wanting to accomplish, right? Yep. So yep. another issue I see is just a huge mismatch. Like an agency just isn't suited for that particular right. business. So right. I'm kind of rambling, but... I, yeah, I, this really, is really good stuff. More important than it's ever been. Because totally again, agree. five five years ago, even probably three years ago, you could easily hand something off to an agency with very little conversation about avatar or or anything mm-hmm. marketing-wise. And... You know they were able to generate results, and that's just not the case. That's why you yeah. see a lot of Facebook ad agencies turning into, you know, more education companies.
0: Yeah, or doing more yeah.
1: so consulting because right. more goes into it than than ever has before.
0: Yeah. So a couple of insights, and that was really good, Molly. I appreciate you sharing that from from my perspective. And and you know we work with, we work with clients. Obviously, I am an agency, but I still think I have pretty pretty objective opinion on this. I think when you're getting first getting started, I 100% agree with you. For an agency to spend the kind of time they need to spend when you're first getting started, it usually doesn't make financial sense for the agency. They can't charge you the fees they need to charge to be able to get you know three or four people working on your account and really digging deep. So in the beginning, I think it totally makes sense. If you as the owner or if you have a marketing director, you can obsess about a particular platform, do that and do that first. Also, I think, I think agencies really thrive when there's quite a bit of data. Like good agencies, and I know several... Um, where you once there's data, and once there's a certain amount of success, that's when we at OMG Commerce, that's when other agencies I know can really dig in and like help things explode. Um, and then I think the other thing to consider is, so if you're going to bring things in house, which I think that can be a that can be a great decision for some people, but you have to be good at building a team. You have to be good at hiring. And, and I think you can run into some mistakes where you say, I'm going to hire a traffic person, a traffic person, right? They're going to manage Facebook. They're going to manage Google. They're going to manage YouTube. They're going to manage my Amazon ads. Like that, that person doesn't exist. Really. That's a unicorn. That, that is a, Exactly. Good luck on that one. Because yeah. they're going to find a favorite platform and that's all they're going to focus on or they're going to get one thing and not another and so, you know, if you're going to build an internal team, then there's there's a, there's a science, there's an art and science to that on attracting talent and keeping talent and training talent and finding the right people to fill the right position. So, um, yeah, certainly it, it's a difficult decision. Do I go in-house? Do I go agency? We know a lot of clients that kind of do a hybrid. So maybe yeah. you say, hey, I, I as a business owner, I understand Facebook, so I'm going to build a Facebook team. And I'm going to manage that. I'm going to outsource the rest. Or I understand... Google search and YouTube. I'm going to build that and do that in-house. I'm going to outsource the rest.
1: So, And it depends on the type of business and the phase of the business. You know, Digital Mm -hmm. Marketer is moving. I would say they're probably an adult business now. And I know that on their team, they have a director of marketing, Amanda, who oversees an agency that does the Facebook stuff and the Google stuff. So none of that from what I'm aware of is even run in-house anymore. Where while while I was there, you know, I did the Facebook stuff and then John Grimshaw, you know, dabbled in the Google and the YouTube. That's smart. that
0: John Grimshaw.
1: As yeah. You, yeah as you were saying the data is so important yes. and so as he became more sophisticated in that his time was much better spent just spitting that data back to yeah. us and analyzing it and tell us telling us what moves to make so outsourcing the google stuff made more sense. So yep, yep. You know, this is, again, being fluid, this is going to change over time. And, you know, the same thing has occurred with Ezra, right? You know, he used to run all of his own traffic.
0: He <laughs> yep, yep, <just> run all <laughs> his Google and words, everything. Yeah?
1: And now he's got you and, yep. you know, this definitely changes over time.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Really good stuff. Okay. So let's talk about Facebook ads and let's talk specifically about, we're talking about how things change rapidly. uh, What has changed in the last year or so? What are you doing now to optimize on Facebook that you weren't doing a year or so ago?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know what's fun? A lot has changed on Facebook in the last year and it's really to the benefit of good marketers. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of... I mean, everyone knows what happened with Cambridge Analytica. That's almost a year and a half ago now where Zuck goes in front of Congress. I mean, he's still on the hot seat. For (laughs) sure. Like
0: every other day you get some bad press or someone's ranting about it. I do too. I do too. uh,
1: I'm I'm able to look at Facebook from uh, a subjective standpoint just because my career has to do with their platform doesn't mean that I don't see fault, right? So I'm not blind to the issues, but I do think that the public, people outside of people like you and I, just the complexity of this stuff creates unknowingness about it that creates fear, that creates what policy and everything that you're seeing happening right now. So uh, you have to understand that with Facebook... And and I feel like Google should be getting some of this heat
0: too. <laughs> yeah, there, like are some, there are some. There are some, but yeah, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg is taking the, the the brunt of it. And and not to defend everything that Mark is doing, because I think Facebook yeah. has made some really bad mistakes. But mm-hmm. it's like this, all this is brand new, and like the, like there's never been a social platform this big, and like this mm-hmm. is uncharted territory, and like. Nobody yeah. else built this thing. Like we got to, uh, I think, hold them accountable but give them a little bit of grace too. Anyway.
1: Yeah, and I think we have to understand that I really think the intentions are good and this is yeah. something that most of the world has bought into that we're all responsible for. So yes. let's make things clear and then everyone just make decisions on how they want to, to use these platforms. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, that, that whole situation has very much changed the advertising landscape because there is this pressure. You know, there's this pressure from a data and privacy standpoint. So, you know, Facebook not wanting people to feel called out for certain attributes that Facebook might have given advertisers data points about, right? Like you being bald, or especially anything to do with health. I'm not or, bald yet, Molly Pittman. No, not you, it, not it, you. It, it might happen. It might
0: happen. It probably will happen, but not yet. Anyway. No.
1: In ten years, no, we'll give you thirty. Um, but especially anything to do with your personal attributes, or anything to do that. that, that, that Sensitive to yes. to who you are, um, and so a, a lot of of really what's happening is, is caused by this but also the fact that Facebook's maturing just like Google has and they want to make sure that the best businesses are advertising not even just the best ads but the best yep. overall yep. businesses the people that provide the best experience and this is something you know Google's been thinking about for 10 years now yep. but um, and, and we see this coming up you know Facebook's really trying to do away with drop shippers people trying to make a quick buck on their platform they're over it. They don't want that to happen because when that does happen and people buy a product and they don't have a good experience, they usually blame it on Facebook, right? Like I saw a post from a friend a few months ago that I went to college with And he had a photo of a coat on that was too small. And it was like, bought this coat from one of those Instagram companies. You know, wasn't what it (laughs) said. Don't buy from Instagram. And I'm like, hey, you know that that's a brand. That's not Instagram. But that's the assumption by by a lot of people. So Facebook's got to make sure that the entire experience is is positive. So they've added things. One of them is called uh, customer feedback score. So after you purchase something from Facebook as a consumer, within about a week, you'll notice that you will see a survey in your newsfeed asking you to fill out, um, you know, information about your buying experience with this company. So product quality, uh, you know, shipping speed, a bunch of different questions, you can actually even input text. So Facebook is wanting a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. And this all factors into a score out of five which all of you guys can access inside of your accounts, that affects the delivery and the cost of your entire account. Wow. For example, if you go, go below a one, you're automatically shut down. There are certain ranges of scores where Facebook will pause you, right? To let you get your shit figured out. Um, anything it. over about a three and a half or a four is great. But this is a way for Facebook to judge the back end, And so this is more important than ever before, right? You really have to have your crap together when you're running ads on Facebook, not just to be a good marketer, but to actually deliver what you said you're going to deliver. And this is weeding out a lot of people that just aren't focusing on on that side of the business. Now, another change is and just more one, much- one quick
0: thing on that. One quick thing on that that I think yeah. is really interesting is that, that that is a trend you mentioned Google, Google's been thinking about, you know, good advertisers for a long time. Amazon is also doing this as well, where they're looking at let's eliminate fake reviews, let's really Let's really Mm -hmm. dig into, is this a good quality product? Uh, Mm -hmm. I think because I think the platforms are seeing that if they don't deliver that good experience, it costs so much in the long term in terms of their brand image and the longevity of their platform. So I think this is a good change because I think what this does is it rewards good brands and people that are doing things the right way and people that are trying to create quality products and then promote that in an ethical fashion, it's, a, it's a helping the good, the good guys, the good gals win. Um, so, it's, yeah. so it's a good change.
1: I couldn't agree more. And there was one more part of that, that that I wanted to mention too that's changed big time. And this is really more so the last three or four months. So before we had a relevant score out of 10, very similar to a quality score. Yep. And Facebook's taken that away and replaced it with three new diagnostic metrics. Okay. But they're actually not numerical scores. It's either uh-huh. below average, average, or above average. I'm pretty okay. sure the, the three options The first diagnostic is your quality ranking. And what's interesting I want to point out about these diagnostic metrics is that they're ranking you against the other advertisers that are targeting the same audience that you are. So this Mm. isn't... Everybody on Facebook, unless you're just broad This is ranking you against... And, and that goes to further prove that Facebook's auction really... I mean, a, a huge factor in this is who you're competing against directly. You know, who's targeting this audience? No brainer. But this yeah. just further shows that.
0: Yeah, and but so that the- makes sense though too, because, right, because Facebook is running out of ad inventory, right? The, the, the newsfeed is at max capacity. So if they say, I can only show so many ads to this particular audience, I better make sure it's the best possible ad. Yeah,
1: and going back to Cambridge Analytica, going back to their, you know, their approval ratings worldwide being so low, back to wanting, you know, a good experience for the user. These are three further metrics they can use to give advertisers more information to create better ads that are better experiences right? Yeah, yeah. For for the end user. So it all goes back to the end user. Um, but these three diagnostic tools are very interesting. The first one is your quality ranking. So this really has to do Um, First off, I can't totally prove this, but I'm pretty sure that a part of this is Facebook's indexing your ad copy. Obviously, this is a bot. But reading your ad copy, reading your landing page copy, and looking for any words or language that sound very salesy or anything that's against their policy. um, I notice whenever I'm launching something that I know is a little, mm -mm when it comes to policy, like you know when you're there... (laughs) <laughs> Usually, my quality ranking is low out of the gate, and my ads haven't even had a lot of traction. So I know it has something to do with post-click. So I'm pretty sure it has to do with the quality in terms of like the language you're using, but also a huge part of the quality ranking is, um, you know, are people giving your ad negative or positive feedback? You know, are they marking you as spam? Are they hiding your ad? This is the diagnostic where I'm usually struggle. The other two that I'm about to share, I'm usually good at. But this one, if I am struggling, it's usually this one is below average. And the reason for that is my copy tends to be a little aggressive sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people will mark my ads, you know, as, as spam. And so mm-hmm. I've noticed, especially since this diagnostic tool has been released, I've really had to dial that back. So you've got you've got the quality the second one is engagement rate and that's really simple it's comments shares likes you know it, are your ads getting more or less social proof than the ads of advertisers who are also competing against the same audience and social proof is so much more important than it used to be 2 years ago 3 years ago 4 years ago um, and it's why a lot of my ads are very native and my job is to look the least like an ad as possible uh, because the more native it looks, the more social proof I'm going to get and the less negative feedback. And then the third is the conversion rankings. So depending on what you told Facebook you want, do you want purchases, do you want add to carts, um, you know, how often is that objective actually being achieved in comparison to your competitors. So this is normally where I, I usually always have an above average tap, <laughs> clap my head.
0: Uh, I bet,
1: And your even my track. students or anybody in the direct response space is going to because we are building campaigns that are, you know, usually meant to um, achieve some sort of conversion on a page, whether it's a pre-sale article, product page, webinar registration, lead magnet opt-in, whatever it is we're not advertising for just branding. So normally our conversion rates are a lot higher than the competition who doesn't even understand that concept. So that's another big change. It's not just that Facebook's measuring the business as a whole. It's also that, um, you know, down to the ads, we're getting a lot more information and Facebook is further measuring this user experience that is, uh, you know, that factors so much more into where we land in the auction and the success of our ads and the cost that we we pay for our ads than it used to be, right? It used to be which advertiser is willing to spend the most, which advertiser yep, is being yep. the highest, right? Yep, yep. Uh, that's just absolutely not the game anymore. And again, I'm happy about this because this means good marketers win. People yep. who actually want to serve a market, who know a market, who are, who are there to help them, they will continue to succeed. But it's a huge change. And especially in the very direct response market and people that just want to make money online and throw up random businesses without uh, a real care behind it, Facebook just isn't going to be for you.
0: Love it. Love it. So tips and ideas. How do how do you recommend people lift those those scores? Obviously, if you go back to the advertiser experience, I think that's mostly about, you know, are are you delivering a great product and is it on time and you have good customer support and all that stuff. But so to kind of raise these, you know, the quality score, the engagement rate, the conversion ranking, what are some tips and suggestions you have?
1: So with the quality, if you see that it's below average, definitely see, is there anything about my ad that's, You know, offending the audience, making them feel too called out, that looks too much like an ad. Why would they be giving you negative feedback? You know, if you were the consumer, why would you be hiding this ad? So that's the first thing I would look at when it comes to quality. And is there any copy in my ad or on my landing page that sounds overly salesy? You know, limited time offer, supplies Mm -hmm. running out. You guys know what sounds like a sale and what doesn't. And Facebook is looking for that type of language. So tell stories, right? And, and that really goes to the engagement. So if you see that your engagement rate is low, that's all about social proof. So instead of writing your ad to talk about how wonderful you are or how wonderful your product or service is, enter the conversation that your avatar and your audience that they're already having, as Dan Kennedy says. Mm-hmm. You yep, know?
0: Yep. Love you that. One of that. my favorite quotes. Well,
1: yeah, speak to them, tell a story, use logic, use emotion, you know, use an analogy, however you need to speak to them in terms of ad copy, whatever you need to do to really hook them. I mean, I would say I spend eighty percent of the time that I spend building a campaign. On the author and the copy and the targeting and the avatar, like those basic elements of the campaign, breadth, that is what matters, you know, you yep. know that, yep. but especially on Facebook, that's what matters. So if your engagement is low, um, think about uh, why are people not engaging th- with this? Would I want to comment on this? Would I want to yep. share? You know, for example, I have a client right now who sells biodegradable phone cases, Very cool. They were the first to market with these phone cases. And the big issue is that there are 1 billion plastic phone cases being dumped into landfills every Mm. year. And these phone cases, you know, biodegrade in in like 60 to 90 days, which is crazy. This is a, solves a big problem. And, um, you know, they will, they have the ability to generate a lot of social proof just because their product is novel, right? (laughs) Like people want to share it, but just small shifts that we made, like you know, some of their ads are a PSA. Did you know there are one billion phone, ca- you know, plastic phone cases with actual photos of this, photos of the and land? I
0: did not know that, and that is yeah. alarming.
1: Yeah, yeah. And using that logic, well, that's an ad I want to share. That kind of looks like something I would see from a news site. That's like, hey guys, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to generate a lot of shares or giving something of value. You know, anytime Ezra and I do a webinar or create a cool lead magnet. Those ads usually get a lot of social proof because it's something of value people want to share. Same thing, I run a lot of ads for docu-series. You can watch a 20-hour docu-series for free on a topic that you love. People want to share those. Or think about you know, Ezra with Boom, his pre-sale article, Five Makeup Tips for Women Over the Age of 50. That is something that people want to share. Or a client that I had, Panda Planner. Um, what worked for them were very long testimonials where I would target more moms, for example, and tell a story about a woman who was able to meal prep and keep the house clean and make sure all of the doctor's appointments were settled and her mom life was better because of this planner. That's something you want to engage with. People are like, yeah, I forgot my kid's you know, uh, soccer game because I'm disorganized. I need that. Right? They're able to connect on a human level in the comments and engage on that level versus this is the best planner on earth. Look at the great quality, free shipping. Right. Right. That (laughs) just
0: sounds like a product pitch. Yeah. It's it's not, it's not solving a problem. And and so I think this really goes back to right. Looking at at message and market fit. fit. And so, you know, am I speaking to the right person and am I sharing with them the right story, the right message? And, And I love that. And just to clarify that Dan Kennedy quote, it's, we should all enter the conversation taking place in our customers' minds. And so our customers have questions. No, no, it was good. It was good. You, I mean, you said it accurately. I was just, just kind of filling it in. But, um, you know, people have questions, they have desires, they have dreams, they have hopes, they have fears, like all these things that are banging around in their head right now. You need to craft your message in such a way that it just enters that conversation naturally where they think, oh man, like this is speaking directly to me, like in the things that yeah. I care about with my family or my, my life as an entrepreneur or whatever. And so- Especially yeah.
1: on go- You know, this is not Google search where they're going in and typing, you know, weekly planner. (laughs) We are showing up very randomly in their newsfeed and we've got to connect on a deeper level. One more example from the planners that I love, we also targeted um, people that were maybe dealing more with anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. and told a story about someone who was going through financial trouble, a divorce, they had just lost their job, their life was in shambles. Someone gave them this planner and it gave them a semblance of of security in their life right like okay. that is how you connect with someone on a deep level and get them to stop scrolling and then yeah, now speak- it's
0: much more than just paper and, and you know three ring binder or whatever and yeah. and and just a quick side note i'm a huge believer in um journaling and, and planners so I, I i like the Tim Ferriss podcast he always talks about a tool called the five minute journal and uh-huh. the five minute journal is just a way you, you write down you know, like you start your day with three things you're thankful for and three things that'll make your day great and then you cap it off in the evening by Writing three amazing things that happened that day. And it's interesting how just that that focused time of evaluating what what would make today great, and then at the end of the day, what made today great, um, really increases your happiness, and I think allows mm-hmm. you to say, "I want more of this thing in my life or less of these things in my life." And so, super powerful. Yeah. But telling that story is a lot better than saying, "Hey, this is um, you know, great paper in this." Uh, you know, in this journal. So buy it because it's, you but know, that's on sale. Yeah.
1: Especially e uh, business owners. And I know you're going to ask me mistakes they're making. That is the number one mistake that I see, mm. especially for e Because with info, you always have to go deeper because you're selling something that's not really tangible. So right. people selling information, consulting services, you already know how to play this game because you have to. But with e-com, a lot of people, especially early, they get success without having to go this deep because they're able to show their product. And especially if it's novel, like the biodegradable phone case, I mean, they, they were spending $20,000 a day on Facebook with very gen- generic ads, yep, right? Yep, just because just so the novel. products, right? So, you know, that is the biggest mistake, especially for e-com, is that and and a reason for this is we get so close to our products I am the same way and we've built this business we know why it's cool and we think everybody else will know why it's cool mm-hmm. right and to us it's the quality and it's the small tweet to this and it's the warranty and it's the shipping and it's all all those details but that's not you know why why you stand out to the end user um, in the least bit so that awesome. ability go deeper and and speak to them on a deeper level is where the opportunity lies when it comes to scale on Facebook especially for ecom folks. for
0: ecom so understanding that story understanding you know where where's their magic in your product or how do you how do you really resonate with the deeper meaning of your product yeah. and you're not always the best one for that. Or uh, if you if you identify what those things are, sometimes you, you believe they're obvious when they're not obvious to to the actual consumer. So any any other mistakes? Anything else you see e-commerce companies specifically making? I love that one. So go deep, tell yeah. the story, kind of uncover and, those little nuggets.
1: You know, to use Ezra as an example again with Boom by Cindy Joseph, that is the single reason he has been successful. Yes. Like those products are great, but nothing, in my opinion, I mean no offense but there's nothing that like stands out necessarily for the products that just makes it a whoa, I just see that product and I want to have it mm-hmm. the reason he's been able to grow this into a you know 35 40 now you know I think close to 50 million dollar a year of business is truly through connecting you know, uh, on a value level with the audience. He's speaking to women over the age of 50 and saying, hey, the rest of the industry is telling you that aging is bad, that you need to get rid of your wrinkles, that you need to hide your age. We're going to celebrate it. And all of, our messaging is going to be completely different. And that is the single biggest reason, other than him being an amazing marketer and human and having a great team, that that business has, has worked so well. But the the second reason, and, and Ez is great on this too, that the, the second big mistake I see ecom people making, and the reason for this is that there, um, I guess logistics isn't the right word, but when it comes to e things are a little bit more black and white than with other business models. And margins are definitely a lot yep. smaller. Yep, right? sure. Like the business is definitely inf- infinitely more scalable, but margins are, are uh, a lot thinner. And so... Um, numbers and data become a huge issue for ecom people, and and we discussed this earlier. You know, I know John Grimshaw's been on the show, but I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I see a lot of ecom business owners, and I know when you're just getting started and cash flow is tight you know, you've got to, you, you, you know, you, you can't just go in the hole, right? Like right, you can't right. just lose a yeah. ton of money. I, I understand that, that all of this has to be taken within reason and context to what you're doing. But I see a lot of people, even when they're at scale, constantly obsessing with lowering the CPA. I must get the CPA down. I must get the CPA down. I must get the CPA down. If it goes a dollar above this metric, I'm done right? like Mm -hmm. I'm done. And they spend all of their time focusing on that, which is important. And they don't spend their time focusing on the back end of their business, increasing lifetime customer value, creating new products, running flash sales, running promotions, you know, getting press, all these other things that can just add on to what they're doing with paid traffic. Again, things that Ezra are great at. Um, And things just eventually fizzle out because traffic gets more expensive and they're kind of done. Yep. So this is a, a mindset shift, like a data shift. There's a lot going on that, that I'm sort of packing up into <laughs> to this one mistake here. But it really comes down to knowing your numbers, but also not obsessing so much about the front end. Um, and once you get the front end dialed in being willing to to be fluid in that area too yep. and to put a lot of focus in the back end and you know facebook just like google is moving more and more into machine learning they want us to have to do less in ads manager because they want us to spend more time on new offers, new mm-hmm. marketing, stuff that's going to be exciting for the audience. And that's what I hope for all of you guys. And yep, you know, yep. this is true when it comes to you know, what, what I just discussed um, and knowing your numbers and not obsessing so much over the, the CPA. And people... One more thing, Brett, too, and this is not just e-com. I, people, when it comes to scale, are so obsessed with keeping under a certain cost per lead or a certain CPA that we lose sight of the volume of results, which is the most important aspect of scale. So you hear gurus, I got dollar leads, dollar leads, dollar leads. Okay, how many leads? Well, yeah. uh, five, right? <laughs> yeah, I would rather have $4 leads and a thousand of those. Yes. you know. Or yep. I would rather acquire 5,000 customers this month at a bit more expensive than 100 at a much cheaper price. Yep. Um, and, and that's another aspect, especially e folks that we've got to keep in mind um, yeah. when it comes to scale.
0: I love it. It's so good. And there's so much to unpack there. I'll kind of highlight a couple of things that, that uh, you said there. Um, yeah, I think, I think if, if you go about it with the minds... Well, first of all, for e-commerce, you can get upside down in a campaign very quickly right? because the margins are tighter. Uh, and if, when you're scaling, you know, things can turn fairly quickly. So you have to know the numbers and you have to run a tight ship and you have to guard those margins. No question about that. But to your point, if your objective, if your goal as a marketer is how can I get the CPA down? I think you're asking the wrong question. I think you should be saying, how can I spend more?
1: How can I yeah. how can I actually how
0: can I make a higher CPA work for my business by having upsells and cross-sells and a back end and things like that? Yeah. Because and this is like a fact, this is not something that's up for debate. As you get bigger and as you have to branch out into other audiences and as competition increases, costs will not go down, right? You will not see CPAs go down over the next couple of years. They're going to go up. Mm-hmm. So the question should be how can I make a higher CPA work? How can I mm-hmm. how can I build my my back-end machine? How can I shift my products? How can I change that where I can afford maybe a little bit more for a CPA because yeah. if you do, then you can be more aggressive and you can go after it and and potentially beat your competition. So, yeah, to- That's totally happening. agree.
1: That's probably the most significant lesson that I learned from Ryan Dice, my old boss and the founder of digital marketer is, you know, he or she who is willing to spend the most to acquire a customer wins. I think that's a Ryan quote. He might've gotten it from someone else, but yep. that was my association with it. And that, that is, may, so that tiring.
0: one may actually come from the, the late great Dan Kennedy as well. I'm not knows, sure which we'll, give Ryan, sense. we'll give Ryan a shout no. out. Hey, what's up, yeah. Ryan? Uh, but,
1: um, I, I i couldn't agree more and this is just a shift in mindset that is perpetuated by the sort of gurus in this space who are always sure. talking yeah. about you know, that's why people have those expectations. It's why the market is always focused on you know the, you know that specific number. And it's why in my trainings, I'm always saying, you know scale is really about volume mm-hmm. of results.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, absolutely and, uh, so important yeah cuz there are the gurus out there wanting to sell their course wanting to sell whatever that that they pick like this really small thing that just exploded and anyway, anyway yeah um yeah. so we're we're about out of time I want to talk about just maybe one more topic kind of quickly and then we'll wrap up and talk about okay. how people can connect with you and get involved with your trainings and such but you were telling me offline about campaign budget optimization cbo Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit? And I know this is probably a topic that could be an entire episode. So trying to distill this in the three or four minutes is going to be tough. But what what is it and what does this mean for the e-commerce store owner? And what tips or advice can you give?
1: Yeah. So CBO is a shift that Facebook is making that they were actually going to make mandatory in September, but they've pushed out till February, uh, which shows that they might not be ready to make the full transition. But basically, the change is that traditionally... Well, really, when I first started running Facebook campaigns, there were campaigns and there were ads in the campaign. So the budgets were set at the campaign level. Then I think in 2013 or 14, they added in the ad set, which is in the middle, right? And so we started setting budgets at the ad set level. So CPO is Campaign Budget Optimization, and it allows you to set the budget again at the campaign level. Which in Facebook size and in, you know, hoops, it means that... Number one, your campaigns are more automated because you're optimizing at the campaign level. So you're optimizing all of your, you know, based off of all of the ad sets and the audiences you've launched and the ads within those ad sets. It's basically telling Facebook, here's what I'm optimizing for, here's what I'm willing to pay and allowing Facebook to go out and do that work for you, essentially. Where when you set the budgets at the ad set level, you control which audiences are getting most of the spend because you're increasing and decreasing the budgets at the level, you know, at at that ad set level. So right now in most accounts, both still exist, CBO and ABO, which is, you know, budgets at the ad set level. For me currently... I'm still using budgets at the ad set level to test. So whenever I have a new offer, copy, targeting, avatar, anything that I haven't run before where I don't have social proof, I'll still test with budgets at the ad set level because it gives me a clearer picture of what's going to work or what's not. Um, And I'm mainly using CBO for scale because if you do have something that's working you throw it into a CBO campaign, um, off to the races, right? The amount of volume of results that you're able to get at a reasonable cost are so much more and they come so much more quickly than budgets at the ad set level. So I think where we are right now is figuring out how do we still properly test if Facebook is going to force everybody to use CBO all the time, um, which I wouldn't be surprised if they push this deadline out a few more months uh, based off of conversations that I've had with them. Um, I, I think what we're going to have to figure out is what does proper testing look like if CBO is the only option? And I have some, some options that I've been testing. Uh, but for right now and into the foreseeable future until we really see a hard shift the other way, that's really how I've been using both of those options. And for me, you know, there's a lot of panic in the market because people will take campaigns that have worked with budgets at the ad set level, duplicate it, change it to campaign budget, and then they're like, ah, it's not working, freak <laughs> out, hire CPA, oh my God, OMG, commerce. <laughs> what, <laughs> what are we gonna do? Yeah. Um, and so uh, another big tip here is, CBO campaigns are very different than campaigns with budgets at the ad set level. They require a much higher audience sizes. For example, every ad set, I try to keep above 3 million if possible. Um a less number of ad sets in a campaign, three to five, no more than five. It's just too many for Facebook to digest. And fewer number of ads in each ad set than you're traditionally used to. So more like two, three, or four ads versus, you know, eight to 10. And so really simplifying things and trying to use... Ads that already have social proof and stuff that's already working. When you're moving into CBO, because uh, that's really what I think it's built for, and and we'll see what happens in the next few months. So that's my skinny on CBO. I love CBO it. And, I love and, it. And, and we'll keep seeing what what happens, you know, before February.
0: Yeah, and you know the interesting thing is, and this is the the same thing happening on on Google and YouTube and Amazon. Machine learning in AI is taking a bigger, playing a bigger role in bid optimization and budget optimization. But what what we found is really for for any of those machine learning programs to work, they need data. So mm-hmm. getting started with with a, a somewhat manual approach or manual plus a little bit of automation. But then as you're able to find winners and get that right message to the right person, you know, then using machine learning can really take you. The next level. Totally.
1: So, yeah, the data is so important with CBO. The accounts that work best for me with CBO are accounts where we generated, you know, thousands of purchases and leads, and and Facebook's just able to continue to go yep. out there and find more people like that. So, awesome. definitely best for scale.
0: Good stuff, Molly Pittman, ladies and gentlemen. So awesome stuff, Molly. So, if people want to connect with you, they say, "Man, I need more Molly Pittman in my life." Uh, where can they find you? How can they connect with you? What you got going on right now?
1: Yeah, so I'm teaching another round of Train My Traffic Person in January. So you can go to trainmytrafficperson.com. If you want to hop on the waitlist for that, we'll let you know when it opens. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Molly Pittman. I'm at Molly Pittman Digital on Instagram, which is where I'm most active. Um, And I actually have a book and a new website coming out early next year. So yeah, be be on the lookout for that.
0: Very cool. Molly, uh, really appreciate it. This has been a blast. Thanks for coming on. We'll have to do it again sometime.
1: All right. Talk soon, Brett. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Molly. And as always, thank you for tuning in. We'd love to hear feedback from you. What what did you like about this episode? Uh, What would you like to hear us talk more about on this podcast? And hey, if you've never done it, we would love for you to review this podcast on iTunes. That helps other people discover the show. It makes me feel good too. And so uh, with that, <laughs> until next time, thank you for listening.